Welcome to another exciting weekend message from Encounter Church. For more information, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Last week we started a new series, a summer series called Letters. Letters uh, is uh, a series that we're going to be walking through the entire summer, which what we're going to basically be doing is we're just going to walk through verse by verse some of the books in the Bible. And the reason it's called Letters is because in the Bible, when you think of things like Galatians, Ephesians, there's books called Corinthians, and there's a, a bunch of other books like 1 John and 2 John and, and, and Peter and books like that. They're actually letters that were written to the churches um, in those particular areas. So we started last week with the book of Galatians chapter 1. One, and that's actually written to several churches that are in a region of Galatia. So similarly to the region of New England, for example. Okay, so it would be like as if as if during the days of uh, when Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the grave, and the, all of Christianity was being created in its sort of its newness, and then the apostles were writing letters of instruction to the believers in that area. It would be as if he were to say, okay, to the church in Boston, to the church of New York, to the church in Hartford, Connecticut, to the church in Portland, Maine to the churches of New England. And then we would have a book of the Bible that was called New Englanders or something. And that would be what it would be like. So what we're doing this summer is we're just walking through these, uh, these letters and just kind of exploring what they mean for our life. And last week we talked about the first 10 verses of chapter 1. And Paul just blasts them right out of the gate. He comes up and says, I am shocked that you're turning to another gospel. And what was happening, and we're going to dig a little bit further into it, is that what was happening is that at the time, Paul had come and ministered to them and started these churches, and then he went on to another place so that other people could know who Jesus is. And then in that time, while he was gone, other people came along and started saying, you know, the gospel isn't quite this. We're going to add a couple rules to it, some different regulations. Like if you really want to be saved and go to heaven, you have to be circumcised as well as have faith in Jesus and a number of other things. And he said, I'm shocked that you believe that. And so the question we asked last week was, am I being shaped by my culture more, or am I being shaped by God's word more? And the whole point of the idea was, is that we have to recognize as people, as Christians particularly, that our culture is so strong. And it doesn't matter what the topic is, what we're really talking about is, are you allowing TV, are you allowing your friends' opinions, are you allowing um, the news, or the books that you read, or the magazines, or the, or the school that you go to, to shape the way you think and believe about things, or when you hear something, do I go back to God's Word and say, what does God's Word say about it? That's kind of the idea, and what Paul was challenging them is, remember what God told you. Remember what I taught you when I first came to you. So we're going to continue today in Galatians 1 and just pick it up. So if you've been reading, we went verse 1 through 10. Today we're going to go from 11 to 24. So if you have your Bibles with you, or a tablet, like I do. Pull out your Bibles, pull out your tablets, your phones. You can get the, the Bible app, the Version Bible app, and look at it and follow along. We're just going to go through here today. So let's do that. Verse 11 picks up where he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message that I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Okay, so what he's saying here is that the message that he was preaching was this concept of faith alone, okay? Have any of you ever heard of Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther. Right? Let me see your hands if you've ever heard of him. He's famous for having nailed 
a, a list of sort of um, grievances with, at the time, was the Catholic Church and nailed it to the wall saying, here's the problem I have is that I read the Bible and the Bible does not include a lot of these other things that the Catholic Church at the time was saying was something you needed to do to be saved. That's not a new message because Paul said it himself. It was faith alone. And what was happening to the Galatians was that not only was he saying you need to know who Jesus Christ is and that his, his salvation is provided through faith in what he did on the cross, what he's actually saying is, is that you guys are ascribing salvation to all the things that you do in addition to that. Well, if you're a good person or if you were following the old Jewish customs and all those types of things. So his message was of faith alone. The problem was is that, is that in this time, Paul's ministry was being considered or was being accused of being illegitimate. Because he was Jewish, but he was preaching to people called Gentiles, which we know as muggles, as I call them. They're non-Jewish people. These are people who everybody else except for the Jewish people. And because he wasn't an apostle who actually met Jesus before he died and was rose from the dead, the, the other apostles didn't consider Paul to be a legitimate apostle at the time. And so he was an independent witness to the gospel. And what he was saying in this passage of verses right here is that his authority and calling came from God himself. He said, I received my message, not from anybody else, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it directly from Jesus Christ. He was telling them that you believed me the first time I came to visit with you guys. Paul came to the town before they had never heard of Jesus at all. Paul walks in, into their cities, tells them about what Jesus can do for their life, and they were saved. Now there are churches there. He said, you believed me the first time. Now I'm writing you this letter. Believe what I'm saying. All right, let's keep going. Verse 13. He says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for my traditions of my ancestors. Okay, so here's, here's a little backstory. Paul was raised in the Jewish faith. His name was his name was Saul, okay? So Saul was raised in it. His parents, we believe, were Pharisees, which was like the top upper echelon of the, of the Jewish leaders. They were kind of like the, the pastors, right? The priests. They were the ones who, who were kind of like in charge of, of the rules and making sure everybody knew how to follow the Jewish faith. So he was raised that way. He was schooled under some of the best teachers of the time, became a Pharisee himself. And when Jesus' when Jesus's message of the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ began spreading all over the world, Paul, at the time named Saul, actually was so violently hateful and full of the message that Jesus was portraying and that his disciples were spreading all over the world that he would go from town to town to town and he would actually hunt Christians down and kill them right there as heretics. And at the time, they were allowed to, based on heresy, were allowed to stone people to death. So that's what he would do. He would go with his mob, like his posse, and he'd roll into a town and, and ask people, like, you know, kind of like, hey, do you know any Christians? Where are they hiding at? Where are they, where are they meeting? He would bust into their houses. I mean, I'm, I'm imagining, like, SWAT teams banging down doors, you know, and, like, going in there and then dragging people out in the streets, calling everybody out, right? He would say to them, he would say, hey, people of this city, come on out here. He would drag them into the streets, and he would say, these people believe in Jesus Christ, which is against the Jewish religion, as is what they believed. And he would say, you are sentenced to death. And he would start picking up stones and just throwing them. And that's why he says, you know what I was like, how violently I persecuted God's church. He did his best to destroy it. He wanted to eradicate the entire message of it. And he says, I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal. I mean, that's like, there was nobody else 
Nobody else who even came compare, could compare to the amount of like, like drive that he had to try to, to eliminate Christianity. And what he was saying here, why he was saying this was he was known. He was known around the entire kingdom of God as the one who would persecute Christians. And he was telling them this to prove that nobody taught him the message of the gospel. He's basically saying, <clears throat> you guys are calling my message illegitimate. You're saying I'm not a real apostle because I didn't come from Jerusalem and because I wasn't appointed. He said, but how could I possibly have this message of grace and of goodness and of Jesus if I didn't have a revelation of him personally because you saw what my life was like? Now, I can say that in my own way as a Christian. When people have asked me, I had a guy when we came to, uh, to Lawrenceville and we were starting very early on, like asking people, you know, hey, you know, doing some surveys and asking them, you know, what they thought about if a new church would start in Lawrenceville. And we were trying to film a video outside of New Amsterdam, right at, around 45th Street. And there was a guy who said, I asked him permission if I could film in front of the building. And he said, well, let me ask you this. He said, why do you follow Jesus and why should I, why should I believe or care what you have to say? And I started saying, well, you know, I was trying to tell my story. I said, and I grew up in a church. And he said, no, 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 no. Why do you believe? And I stopped for a second, and I thought, I said, because he changed my life. And I said that. And he was like, oh. And so there's something, something about this idea of my life used to be like this, and then I met Jesus, and now my life is completely and radically different. My values, my morals, my belief system, the way I treat people, Right? The Bible calls it the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Maybe I forgot one. And that's, that's, the, that's the fruit of the Spirit. But the Bible also tells us the other fruits of the sinful spirit, which are things like lust and greed and violence and anger and selfishness, right? If you want to look at a Christian and you want to know what their life is like, if you want to know if they've met Jesus, you find out by the fruit of their life. And you can see, I used to be angry. I used to be violent. I used to be like Paul. That was his story. He said, you know what I was like. How could you say that I got my message from anybody other than Jesus himself? His religious upbringing and his education could not have possibly converted him from the destroyer of Christianity, ultimately to the apostle of Jesus Christ. And here, here's where we're going to camp out. 15 to 24, we're going to go right here. So here, let's read on. But even before I was born, Paul says, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, which we now know as sort of like the Syria area. And later, I returned to the city of Damascus. Then, three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, who was another apostle. And I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. Verse 21. After that, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea, which is the Jerusalem area, didn't know me personally. What he's saying here is, guys, like, I went out there and gave my message and gave the message that Jesus had given me everywhere I could go, and still I didn't go back to Jerusalem to make sure that the message that I was giving, like, that, that he wasn't looking for their approval is what he's saying. Verse 23, all they knew is that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. 
and they praised God because of me. Now here's something. When God chooses to do something, against all odds, it will succeed. That's something you need to understand. You need to hear this. Is that when God chooses to put something in motion, when God chooses to do something against any odds, against anything that's stacked against it, it will succeed because he gets what he wants. And this is the case of what happened with Paul. Paul said, I heard a message from Jesus. Like the, the Bible tells us that Paul was on the way to a city called Damascus, and he was going there named Saul. He was going there to persecute the Christians, and along the way he gets stopped dead in his tracks, and he sees a vision of Jesus Christ in heaven. In that moment, everything changes for him. And he goes to Damascus, and he meets other believers, and that's when we know Paul's ministry begins. And then a few years later is where we're at now, where he's talking about how he traveled to all of these places. Somewhere along the way, he heard about the message that he was supposed to go to the Gentiles, the people who didn't know Jesus. I mean, that's why we're here in this community, right? I mean, Encounter Church does exist for all people. Encounter Church does exist for Christians. For those of you who've come here and have been here for a long time, we're grateful that you're here and we love you. We, you can come here and you can find family and you can be, be fed here in your faith. But that's not the only reason we're here. We are here in this community for people who don't know Jesus, for people in Lawrenceville and, and Shadyside and the rest of the East End and the rest of Pittsburgh and the world who are living their lives searching for something, searching for meaning, who are living in darkness, who are hurting and broken. We're here for them, and someone has to go, and Paul was sent to those types of people. Paul was immediately obedient to God's call for three years before he even went back to Jerusalem. And that tells me something. That says that Paul got a hold of God's message, something happened to him so deeply inside of him that he knew he had to obey, and that he had to obey it at, 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 at even greater strength than, than, than going and checking with the leadership. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that like, you need to like, go do your own thing and start your own thing if you hear God speaking to you. You certainly are welcome to do that. But, but this is an, an occasion where Paul heard something that was so powerful and so radical that he had no choice but to just be obedient to it. And he went out in such excitement and such zeal with the same fervor that he had hunting down people. He also took that same zeal and fervor and went to every community he could to let people know about Jesus. Paul was painting a picture here of his travels to show his supreme confidence in his calling and the validity of the gospel message that he was preaching. And eventually his calling was then recognized by the church leaders in Jerusalem, and now his legacy remains today. So we ask this question, how does this apply to us today? I mean, that's really what we're trying to do here, right? We want to say, okay, we understand what the Bible is teaching. This is a letter. So the letter started with Paul basically saying, hey, guys, like I came to you and you heard the message and now you've sort of morphed it and changed it a little bit. And now he's proving like you need to listen to me because I had a revelation from Jesus and this is the same guy who's talking to you. How does this though apply to us? Well, I would say this. The, re the revelation that Paul received from God has now become scripture, right? Because now we look at Galatians and we read it as part of the Bible. And the same authority that spoke to the Galatians then through Jesus Christ now speaks to us. And so number one of how does this apply to us, I believe this wholeheartedly, is that each one of us needs to have a revelation of Jesus Christ ourselves. Like, it's not enough for us to, for us to go to church or to hear the faith of my parents. I grew up in a church. My dad's a pastor. And 
my, my grandmother is a Christian. My whole family are Christians. I grew up in the church. I knew what it was like. I knew the walk. I knew the talk. I knew how I was supposed to act. I knew how I was supposed to behave in church and outside of church. But my faith did not become my own until I was late into my teenage years, until I had walked enough of life myself and realized that I was just not cutting it, that I wasn't able to, to find the wholeness, the purpose in life that I needed. Ultimately, you have to have a revelation of Jesus Christ yourself. And I would contend that you need to have a revelation of a fresh revelation from him on a regular basis, even on a, even on a daily basis. Like, even if for some of you who've been Christians for a long time, maybe when you remember the day that you met Jesus for the first time, remember, maybe that, that moment is so fresh in your mind of what it was like then, but now if you were to take stock of what your life is like now, what your faith is like, perhaps you've dulled a bit or your faith is not as strong as it once was. Your excitement or your passion for God's word has waned out a little bit. I would say that's because you're disconnected from him in spaces in your life, or perhaps you haven't had a fresh moment with him. And there's two primary ways that I believe that we get that revelation. And the first one is scripture. I believe wholeheartedly that we have to read God's word. I mean, if I, I believe that, that the Bible was a letter written to different groups of individuals, but it was inspired by God himself, written in the hands of the apostles, the individuals who wrote it. And if, and if God's word spoke truth then, isn't God's word still true today? Like, it's the same word, the same God who's living, who's active, the God who says he, is never, he never changes, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's all from the Bible. It's all from God's word. So if we read a passage of Scripture in God's word, and the truth applies, we should look at that truth and apply it to our life. So we need to have a fresh revelation of Jesus. The only way that that happens is if we're reading God's word and, and reading it from the perspective of, the, as I read it, this is God speaking to me. This isn't some old guy from 2,000 years ago. This isn't Pastor Jared saying something. This is God literally speaking through these words in the text. And that fresh revelation, as we allow it, as we said last week, is, is my life being shaped more by my culture or by God's word? If I go into the Bible and I read Galatians, and I'm asking that question of, okay, the things that I believe, the things that are popular, the things that, that I maybe have shaped me, as I read God's word and they buck heads against each other, does this, does this strike me? Like, does God's word speak to me? Because if it does, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to transform you. So the first way is that. The second way is the Holy Spirit. I believe with all my heart that God's Spirit lives and is alive and lives inside of us. The Bible tells us that when we decide to follow Jesus, that the Holy Spirit, His Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, comes and lives inside of a Christian. He's there presently inside of me and inside of you, those of you who are, who are believers. And, and He speaks to us. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit comforts us. The Bible tells us it gives us comfort. It gives us strength. It gives us wisdom. It gives us discernment. It convict, convicts of sin, right? The Holy Spirit is also a place of fresh revelation. If you go out into the countryside and you spend time and you, and you maybe just sit, sometimes I'll drive on the turnpike or I'll go up to my mom and dad's house up in the Warren area and I'll be driving through the mountains and sometimes I look out and I see the beauty of God's creation in just great display and I'll stop on the side of the road, get out of my car and sit on the guardrail and just look. And sometimes in those moments, I feel something happen inside of me and it, I believe it's the Holy Spirit saying, this is who I am. This is what I've created. And, and, and in that moment, I feel connected to my creator. And I'm not talking like new age mysticism. I'm saying, I'm saying there's a connection inside of our soul. The spirit of God connects with us as people, our soul, and says, 
this is who I am to you. And in those moments of quietness, in those moments of stillness, and sometimes it happens at the park. I'll go to the Arsenal Park sometime midweek, and I'll just sit or I'll walk around and just pray. And in those moments, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and, and prompts me for things. It'll say, you know, Jared, the way you talked to your wife today wasn't, wasn't the way I would I want you to talk to her. Or the way that you, uh, you know, lost your temper with your kids this week, you know, that, that time, you know. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, and that's a revelation of who Jesus Christ is because the Spirit of Christ is a representation of him. So as the Spirit of God lives inside of us and is trying to prod us and show us and shed light on areas of our life that are not like him, what it's trying to do is trying to get us to match up with who Jesus Christ is, the principle that he lives by. We need a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ ourselves. That's how Paul got his message, and that's how we have to get our purpose in life. The second thing that I think this applies to us is that the only way to overcome our human perspective is an encounter with Jesus. The only way for us to overcome it. I mean, some people read the Bible, and they read something they don't agree with. And then they make the choice, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to do this faith thing. I'm not going to do this Christianity thing because they feel like it's, it's too difficult or, or the, some of the things that they don't, they don't think and understand or it makes sense to them. And I understand that. I understand that there are things in the Bible that you read that you're like, how does this apply to me in a modern context? I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, and the Bible was written a long time ago, and when I read something, how does this apply in my modern context? How do I have relationships with my friends who maybe are not Christians or don't believe what I believe? And the only way that I can overcome my perspective as a human being and live the life that God wants me to live is through an encounter with Jesus. That's why we called this church Encounter Church was because we wanted you to know that this is a place where we believe that God wants to intersect with your life. I mean, I believe an encounter is like a moment in time where you come up against something, and in that moment, it changes who you are one way or another. And that's what we want it to be like at Encounter Church. We want you to come here and experience a God that we believe is alive, a God who, who is not just old and 2,000 years ago, but that speaks to us today. And the only way for us to overcome our problems, to overcome our struggles, to overcome our addictions, the things that we struggle with as people, I wholeheartedly believe we need to have an experience with Jesus Christ through his word and through his Holy Spirit. I believe that if you're struggling, and if I'm struggling with, with any particular number of, of issues, it could be a value, a belief, it could be even an action. It could be a husband who struggles with, with, uh, with, 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 with not looking at other women. It could be a, it could be a wife or a, or a woman who is, who is struggling with self-image, feeling like maybe their, their body isn't the way that the rest of society means to paint the picture it should be. It could be any number of things, and you feeling the way that you do. No amount of self-help groups, no amount of magazines you read, no matter, no matter how many mantras that you can quote to yourself are going to be able to get you changed on the inside. The only way that that happens is to overcome your human, human perspective with an encounter with Jesus Christ. We become whole when we meet Jesus Christ. And I believe we need to do that on a regular basis. So we need a revelation of Jesus Christ ourselves, the only way to overcome our human perspective is an encounter with Jesus. And lastly, confidence comes from that revelation. Paul had a revelation with Jesus, right? We read that. He's like, I didn't even go back to Jerusalem. He said, I just immediately felt the calling of God on my life to go out and preach the message of goodness to all the people of the world. So he just went and did it. There was a confidence that welled up in him. I don't know about you, but like, 
For some of you, maybe you remember that day when you first met Jesus and you, maybe you raised your hand in a, in a church service, you were at a church camp, or, or maybe it was in the privacy of your own room. I don't know where you met him for the first time and decided to follow him with your life. But in that space, do you remember like the confidence and the excitement that came because something happened inside of you? That same confidence is the confidence that can happen every single day that you meet Jesus again. When you meet him, the Holy Spirit, something comes alive, you know, because what you're doing is you're starting to align yourself with his principles. We talk about that a lot here. You know, when I read God's word, that's aligning with the principles because I'm saying, God, I sit under the authority of your word, of what you want, your design for my life. As you do that, you begin saying no to the things of your, of your, of your flesh, right? Like the things that you find it much easier to be able to say no to the things you struggle with when you're spending time with God. When you are reading God's word and it's, and it's starting to read you, right? Like people will say, like, God's reading my mail. That's kind of like a word of saying, like, when I'm reading the Bible and I'm spending time in prayer, God begins to speak to me. It's like he knows, obviously, what we struggle with. He knows what we think. He knows our mindsets. And he begins to talk to us and, and shape us. And in those times and in those moments is when we start to have that confidence. It's so much easier for me to, to say no to things that are not healthy for me when I've got Jesus literally standing next to me. But if I haven't spent any time with, with Jesus, I haven't spent any time with God in, in reading God's word or in prayer, and it's been six months since the last time I cracked open my Bible, and I haven't been to church in three months or, or whatever it is, you're going to have a real hard time overcoming the things that, that hold you down, the things that hold you back. That's just the way that it is. I talk about my relationship with my wife all the time because I think it's a great example. And I think the Bible tells us that, that the picture of marriage is actually the picture of how God, how Jesus Christ lives with his church, right? The husband and a wife, when they, when they come together, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's what he tells us. So as we, as we work together in our relationship, our relationship is close. But if I don't ever talk to my wife, if I don't ever, you know, come home and say hello to her, or it happens all the times in couples who work off shifts, right? Like maybe the husband works overnights and the, the wife works during the day and then they come home and they're always off shifts. It can take a toll on a marriage because, because they're not spending any time together. And this is what we're talking about here is that confidence comes from revelation and an encounter. If you want to have boldness in your life and your faith, you need to spend time with Jesus. And that's what Paul was saying here. And it's about God's word first, not man's opinion. That's the thing that's important to understand. It links back to last week is we have to believe that what God's word said is true. And it may not always make sense to us as human beings, but when I say, God, I'm going to trust you and I know that your spirit lives inside of me and you're going to help me along, I know that one day I'm going to understand this or it's going to resonate with me. Confidence that what God says, God will do and will provide for. Maybe some of you have heard God speak to you in your life and he said, I'm going to do this in your life, or I want, I have this for you, or a future, or a dream that God's put in your heart. And it's been a long time since that word was spoken, and you're wondering if it's ever going to come true. I believe with all my heart that what God says, God will do, and God will provide for. This church, for example, is a perfect example. We'll kind of close up with this. This church was spoken into existence when we were at a, at a staff meeting, a staff retreat for another church about four years ago. And the lady who was there was praying, and she said, I just feel like Jared and Heather, and that's my wife, today and Heather, she said, I, I just feel like God is saying, you guys are going to plant a church. And that resonated. Something just, like, just came alive inside of our hearts, you know? And that's what happens when God speaks a dream or something. It's just something happens inside of you. It bubbles over. Maybe there's some of you now who remember a moment where God did that in your life. And 
something inside of you. Even now, God's just stirring it back inside of you, saying, I did not forget about this thing. And in that moment, I was excited. I was so excited about this concept of going to a, a new community and, and sharing the love of Jesus, just like I imagine Paul had in Galatians. He heard the message of Jesus Christ, and he believed it, and he was so excited to run from community to community to community. But the thing is, is that it takes a while sometimes for things to come into fruition. And this church didn't start until March 16th last year, which was a few years after we had uh, heard that word about God creating this church. And, but I will tell you that as we walked forward in faith, God said, I'm going to give you this church. We're going to plant this church. And then that means that God's going to do it. And then we raised the money. I didn't know how we did it. We raised $85,000. $85,000 to start this church. And the equipment that you see, and, the, and, and I mean, a lot of that now is based upon the giving. And we kind of talked about that. But all of the stuff that you see, everything was made possible because God brought it forward. And that's the thing you have to understand about faith in Jesus. When you have when you have a revelation of who he is, whether in the very beginning of your relationship where you first met him for the first time or you've been a Christian for a very long time, it always comes back to connecting back in to the vine. John 15 talks about that. Jesus says, I am the vine. Those who are connected with me will bear fruit and those who are disconnected are gonna wither. So when we're connected to the vine, when we're connected to Jesus, we have a confidence that comes inside of us. And if you as a Christian today are feeling like you don't have confidence, you don't have boldness, you feel like it's been a long time since I've felt excited about my faith. You need a fresh revelation of Jesus. Because Jesus is not boring. Jesus is not old. Jesus is not stale. He is alive. He's active. He's moving. He provided this incredible venue for us. He opened the door for this place with like resounding, like it was just, it was like there was no question about it. You know, like we, one moment, we were worried about where we were going to go, and then the next moment, God blows the doors open of this building for us and gives us this incredible space. Like, I know he's alive and active, and he wants to do that in your life. So we're going to wrap up here if, if, uh, if the worship team wants to come back up. There's just a couple steps I would say we should take. How can we respond today? The first thing I would say is encounter Jesus regularly. Encounter Jesus regularly. I already mentioned John 15. That's the vine. Go read that. John 15 and read how Jesus talks about like the vine. It, it, it makes sense, right? If, if a branch gets broken off from the tree, it's just going to wither and die. We need to have a relationship with Jesus on a regular basis. The second thing I would say is allow the revelation of Christ to transform your worldview. Paul, at one point, had had this mindset of that Jesus and his message of the gospel was wrong and he was hunting it down. But then he had a fresh revelation of who Jesus was and his perspective changed. I would encourage you to allow the revelation of Christ to transform your view on life. I mean, the Bible is known as being the most countercultural countercultural religion, the most countercultural book ever written because it shakes up everything that we see in our life. When someone hits you, most of us want to hit someone back, but God's word teaches us to turn the other cheek. It tells us to love our enemies. It tells us to, to, to go after the hurting and the poor. And so the only way that that happens, because none of that happens by us wanting to. I want to sit at home and watch on TV, and I want to sit at home by myself. I don't want to go out and, and give my money away to people. I don't want to go out and help people who are going to pull me down and all those things, right? The only way that that happens is from a revelation of Jesus and allowing that revelation to transform my mindset. And the last thing is to push forward in obedience. Push forward 
in obedience. We have to, even if we don't always understand what God's Word is saying or why, when we read in Scripture that it says something, we have to trust that it is the very words of God saying, I know you don't understand this, child. I'm the master of the universe. I have created all of this. And I understand that you are not going to get everything, I, what I've set out for you, but I will teach you. Just follow me. Let's push forward in obedience. Would you stand with me? Come on! Thanks for listening to this message from Encounter Church. If you call Encounter Home, or if you would like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterPGH.com and click on the Support Encounter tab on the left side. This is a quick and simple way to stay up to date with your regular giving. We hope you join us next week.